Hey, I'm Johnny King, and I'm a life enthusiast, growth mentor, and lifestyle fulfillment coach, which means I've dedicated my entire life to helping anyone who feels like they're not making the most of their potential to level up and live the extraordinary life of their dreams. You deserve to be the king or queen of your own kingdom, and I'll be alongside to help you be the best version that you can be. I'm psyched that you're here, so let's get to it. What is up, everybody? It's Johnny King with another episode of The Johnny King Show. I'm psyched to have John Livesey here. He is the man when it comes to selling through storytelling. Thank you for being here, John. Johnny, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I, I'm just looking at your uh, little intro here, and I'll, I'll read it because uh, I think it just really encapsulates everything. Well, not everything, but <laughs> you know, a, a part of your story. So John Livesey, a.k.a. The Pitch Whisperer, He's a sales keynote speaker where he shows company sales teams how to turn mundane case studies into compelling case studies um, so that they can case win story. more business. Yeah. Case stories. Thank you. There you go. To win more business. And so from John's award-winning career at Condé Nast, he shares the stories he learned that turn sales teams into revenue rock stars. And then his TEDx talk, which we'll talk about uh, later on in this, this podcast interview, which I'm excited about, entitled Be the Lifeguard of Your Own Life, has over a million views and clients just love working with John because of his ongoing support after his talk, which includes implementing the storytelling skills from his best-selling book, and then his online course, Better Selling Through Storytelling. So thank you so much for being here. It's exciting. It's one of my favorite topics, storytelling. Oh, it's awesome. uh, uh, fun to teach people how to do it and watch the results. It was funny how so much of, um, it's not funny, but it's interesting how much of what we know uh, about our past generations or our ancestry, a lot of it has been passed down through storytelling. What, what do you know of the history of storytelling and how did this all kind of evolve into your career? Well, back in the day when we were living in caves, you know, there were stories drawn on the walls and people used to sit around the globe campfires and tell stories. And yeah. you know, now in business meetings, we sit around the globe PowerPoints. Um, but this concept of, even if you think back to your childhood, you know, kids, never get tired of hearing the story of the day they were born mm -hmm. or how their parents met. So all of that uh, storytelling creates a legacy, an emotional connection. It's really the emotional glue that makes us feel part of a tribe or where we're living and what company we work for. And so that's why storytelling is literally in our DNA. And when you tell a story, people relax. They go, oh, this might be entertaining even. Yeah. Um, but when you start pushing out a bunch of facts and data, then you got people's left brain analytical mind kicked in and um, their defenses are way up. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we talked the other day and I was telling you when I've gone through a lot of personal development and Tony Robbins stuff, he's, he's a master at kind of teaching through storytelling. Mm -hmm. That was the first time that I started to notice like, man, he just tells captivating story after captivating story, but he's always you know, ultimately wrapping in a nice round, nice bow, mm -hmm. teaching some point, uh, but you get lost in it and you're like eager. It's just, a, it's, a, it's a great way of kind of getting a point across or like you said, storytelling, I don't know, selling, I should say. So um, I, I liked what you said in your video on your, on your uh, website where you said, Plato said, storytellers rule the world. Mm -hmm. But in what, in what sense do you feel like, is that still relevant today? Oh, it's more relevant than ever, Johnny, because Plato didn't have to compete with the internet for distractions. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people struggle with being forgettable after yeah. they give a presentation. 
and stories make us memorable because they may not remember what you said specifically about facts and figures, but they're going to remember a good story. And more importantly, tell that story to other people. Mm. And that's what you need in sales because there's always that second meeting where right. you present and then they hear other people present and then they have a meeting again and say, okay, we heard all the presentations. What do you guys think? And if you've told a story that other people can repeat, then you're much more likely to get that sale. Mm. I love that. What, uh, if someone is hearing this for the first time and they know they need some support with selling, but they really don't feel like they're all that confident or feel like they're much of a storyteller, I would assume that you believe that this is something that's teachable, right? You can become a storyteller. Yes. I mean, you know, a lot of people say, oh, leaders are born. And, you know, that's not true either. You can become a leader if you study uh, the skills. And the same thing is true about storytelling. Sometimes people tell me, you know, I don't have any stories. I'm like, really? You've never had a mis- you've never made a mistake in your whole life. You've never had a bad family holiday meal, never gotten stuck on an airplane on a trip that went bad, or recently here in Austin, you know, the power and lights, the water went out. I mean, those things create stories that show our character and our resilience as opposed to just saying you're a resilient person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh- I also, when we were talking, you were mentioning, I mean, before we started recording here, um, just about the idea of a case story that like you just, the people that struggle with selling don't know how to tell a a good case story. What exactly is a case story? Well, Johnny, the old way of doing it's been around for decades is a case study. Even the word study sounds boring to me. Usually it's, you know, a bunch of facts and figures about somebody else you worked with. Um, it's usually pretty dry. Maybe there's a testimonial in there, not much personality. So I take those information, boring, uh, dull case studies and turn them into case stories. Mm. And a case story, like any good story, has four elements. And the joy of it is once you tell a case story to a potential client and they see themselves in the story, then they want to go on the journey with you. Mm. So let me give you the four elements the exposition. You need to think of yourself like a journalist. The who, what, where, when, paint those details so you're painting the picture that people see themselves in. Then the problem. And any good story has a problem and a conflict. And the stakes need to be somewhat high uh, to get us on the edge of our seat. And here's a big takeaway. The better you can describe someone's problem, the better a potential buyer thinks you have their solution because you're showing empathy for the problem that Mm -hmm. you're having. And then you give the solution. And then the secret sauce is the resolution. What is life like after that solution has happened? For example, can you imagine if the Wizard of Oz ended when Dorothy just got in the balloon to go back to Kansas, the (laughs) end? Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be that wonderful resolution of her at home, you know, saying, and you were there and all these, there's no place like home and all these life lessons, that's the resolution. So let me give you an example. I was working with Olympus Medical and I said to one of their salespeople, what are you saying now to get doctors to buy this equipment? Oh, well, our our equipment makes the surgeries go 30% faster. Would you like one? Okay. That's a left brain numbers, pushing information data out, which is very common. But now the story sounds like this. Imagine how happy Dr. Higgins was down at Long Beach Memorial six months ago using our equipment and he could go out to the patient's family in the waiting room an hour earlier than expected. And if you've ever been waiting for somebody you love to come out of surgery, you know every minute feels like an hour. And he put them out of their waiting misery earlier than expected and said, good news, surgery showed 
they didn't have cancer, they're gonna be fine. And then turned to the rep and said, you know, that's why I became a doctor for moments like this. Mm. Now that rep has a case story that they tell to another doctor at another hospital. That other doctor says, you know what? That's why I became a doctor. I want your equipment too. Boom. So much different than just pushing out a statistic. I, I love to, when you said the, the, I mean, the resolution, I think is, again, it's the kind of the bow on the end of the, the case story, case study, if you will. But it also kind of brings it around to like, that's the feeling that we're looking towards yes. achieving, right? It's like, oh, if I can do all of this, then that's the feeling that I want, which I think is to me, and, and a lot of what I talk about on the podcast when it comes to psychology is like, we don't want the things, the house or the car, we want what we believe those things will allow us to feel, right? Exactly. And it's the same type of thing with the story. That's why I think we love, we see stories and movies. And even if we know the way it's going, and somewhat predictable, we're still happy when it ends a certain way. Mm -hmm. But a few times that it doesn't, we're like, what? It's like a, a scratch in the record, you know? Right. So that resolution, you said exposition, right? The who, what, where. Yep. The, the problem, problem. The solution. And the, and the resolution. Resolution. Got it. Got it. And, you know, when I told that to Olympus, they said, wow, that gives us goosebumps. Mm. Not only are we not telling stories, we're not even thinking that the patient's family would be a character in the story. Mm -hmm. And you'll notice what I did there was I pulled you in a little bit by saying, if you've ever waited for someone you love to come out of surgery, then you're like, oh yeah, I do remember that time. Mm -hmm. And even if you haven't, you might know somebody who has. And again, the doctor is the hero of that story, not the rep, not the equipment. Right. And the doctor puts people out of their waiting misery, an emotional description of how those people were feeling. And then of course the doctor's tapping into his own purpose, his why becoming a doctor. Now we've transcended any transactional kind of conversation yeah. into meaning. Right. It makes it uh, just so much more uh, human, you know, like relatable, you know, versus like you said, just stats and figures. There's not a whole lot of motion to that. So my soundbite is that when you tug at people's heartstrings, they open the purse strings. Mm. <laughs> That's very true, isn't it? Absolutely. I love it. Uh, speaking of just emotion, kind of changing gears a little bit, I feel like for a lot of people, selling makes them feel uncomfortable. And whether they're just not confident, um, yeah. they feel like they're being pushy. How, how do you support someone in your coaching go from pushy when it comes to selling and to more feeling that they're just being persuasive or? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's ironic. I work with a lot of sales teams that that's their job, but I also work with a lot of companies who have to sell, but they don't call themselves salespeople, mm. lawyers, architects, um, almost anyone who has to win new business. So I just say, think of yourself as a storyteller and not a salesperson. That automatically reframes how you're thinking of yourself because the mm -hmm. old way of selling is to push out information. And you know where it comes from, Johnny? The belief and the myth that we've heard forever that in order to get someone to hire you or buy from you, they have to know, like, and trust you. Mm -hmm. We've heard it for, and so that belief goes, oh, well, then if you need to know stuff, let me push out information. Let me tell you everything about me and my company and my products. Do you know enough yet to buy? And of course people buy emotionally and back it up with logic. So the joy of when you tell a story is you're not pushing out information, you're pulling people in. And again, when they see themselves in those stories, it's like landing a plane. It's a very smooth closing. It's not a pushy closing at all. 
Mm. Like literally, does that sound like the kind of journey you'd like to go on? Mm-hmm. And they have, if they've seen themselves in the story enough, nine times out of 10, they'll say, yes, it does. It makes me think of times that uh, <laughs> I've been critiqued uh, when I was much younger in my like earlier sales career. And I felt like people were like, oh, you... Uh, or, I've, or I've experienced too, where, where people just kind of show up and throw up and just throw up information, right? Uh, but you're right, the whole idea of they've got to know, like, and trust you. But then my mind goes to that saying of like, they need to know how much you care before they, you know, they care right. how much you know, correct? So a lot of times it's more questions, right? I've learned uh, that, that selling a lot of times is a lot more questioning than it is talking, you know? How do you incorporate the balance of storytelling with also making sure that you're, mm. I mean, you're there getting information that you're going to use in the sales right. conversation, right? Well, the first thing I do with clients is I flip the know, like, and trust to trust, like, and know. Mm. So the trust is a gut thing. Remember when we shook hands, we, uh, we'll do it again, uh, but it was to show we didn't have a weapon in our hand, go all the way back to that cave time. Um, so trust is transferred. You know, we got an, an introduction through a mutual friend, Sterling Hawkins, you trust each other. He trusts me. So mm-hmm. when you and I were having a, that trust gets transferred. Yeah. Social proof is, uh, is this email safe? So we start with that. And then we go to the heart, the likability factor, which is that empathy I was talking about. And then it's the head. And even then, Johnny, it's not about information. It's not, let me give you, it's will this work for me is the unspoken mm-hmm. question everybody has. Right. And so that's what the storytelling does so well is it answers all of that. So that I think um, is part of this whole process. Now, in terms of asking questions and how does that relate to storytelling, I want to encourage people to think of their minds like a jukebox. You know how you push a letter and a number and a song would play? You wanna have multiple stories ready to go, not just one. And so after you've asked a question to uncover somebody's challenge or problem or pain point, you wanna have a story that fits that exact situation. Oh, that reminds me of so-and-so. They had a similar, and so you are ready to go. So you, the question allows you to know which story to tell. You, you were also mentioning trust. <clears throat> I feel like, and I, I've talked to so many other people too, especially in today's day and age where you can't trust anything you see on social media, mm-hmm. whether it be manipulated or you know, video, photos, a lot of times, like even with my ads, I get guys commenting on my ads on Facebook. And then when I reply, it's like, oh, oh, I thought, I didn't even expect you to be a real person. I just figured you were a bot. or was like a made up profile. Like how do you, in, in a world where we are so skeptical, you know, and trust is yeah. so broken in many ways, how, how do you work to do that? Especially if you're not necessarily face-to-face like, like we're doing right now, like right. On Zoom, you know, especially in this pre-COVID or post-COVID lifestyle how do you work through selling when it, and it's harder to create that sense of trust yes through a virtual world well i just had an experience of this myself this morning when i saw somebody posted on tiktok that the snowstorm in texas was not real mm. the snow wasn't real snow and i was like wait a minute <laughs> now we're questioning that yeah um so uh, i'm here to tell everybody the snow is real i was here and <laughs> yeah. i know what snow is uh, so i again i think it goes back to social proof warm introductions from people that they already know, like, and trust that they then feel like, okay, if this person's vetted you mm. and, and that's why video testimonials are so helpful um, for people to get a sense of, oh, okay. 
Um, I trust this person. There's, and, you know, and if you have publicity, uh, I've been fortunate enough to be featured in Fortune and Inc. and some television shows. So all of that tends to help people trust me a little more because they said, oh, well, clearly those organizations vet the kinds of people that they're writing about right. and testimonials of companies that, you know, I actually had a client that needed to talk to my clients that had hired me for speaking. It happened to be for an executive search firm that they wanted me to train their team on how to tell stories to win new business. And they said, you know, we don't just look at references on your LinkedIn profile and your website. We actually need to talk to the people. I'm like, but I'm not interviewing for a job mm -hmm. except the job of being your speaker. I'm fine. Go ahead to call them. So that's what that's how. So sometimes they need to go that extra step. But I think just knowing that they could call somebody if they needed to helps keep people pretty much on the up and up on who they use as um, case references. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, again, being able to go on your website and see, oh, you've worked on all these with all these people, you've been in all these publications, oh, you've been interviewed by Larry King, like that stuff's like, oh, legit. I mean, that's cool that, that you're right. The social proof speaks pretty loudly uh, for itself, um, which is just kind of goes to show again, the, the communal aspect of uh, that transferring of trust, you know? Yes. So that's, that's very, very cool. Um, when it comes to, again, confidence, because um, I think people who aren't uh, inherently, let's say, extroverted, a people person, seems like you absolutely are, I am, but I still like, still having to learn confidence for someone who's extroverted, then you yeah. take someone who's introverted, but they feel like they have a message that they're called upon to give. Mm -hmm. What are some tips that you can, that you can offer to the listeners to, to help build that confidence in well, storytelling and sales? Yeah. yeah. A lot of people tell me they get butterflies in their stomach when they have to speak in front of people. Yeah. And I just say, you know, the goal is not to get rid of those butterflies in your stomach, but to get them to fly in formation. Mm. And you want to get the nervous energy out of your stomach and into the room, make a gesture, get out of your head, worrying about whether people like you or not. Mm -hmm. And I had an experience when I was being interviewed on live TV and I, they said, go sit on that sofa. The uh, host will come from the anchor desk at commercial break and sit on the sofa and start interviewing you. And they um, were ironically interviewing me on how to have more confidence as part of my segment. And uh, I've been in other situations on, on live TV and it's all, your heart's definitely racing. And, uh, but in this particular studio, the cameras were on robots tracks mm. and not people pushing them, which is what I'd already seen. And so I'm sitting on the sofa and they're like, they're going live in five, four, and this robotic camera, three of them coming on a track at a really fast speed from one set to the next. And they come just within camera range. So they're like this far, like I'm this far away from your face. And you're like, is this thing going to stop? And my heart is even racing more besides just being on live TV. Yeah. And then I had to talk about being confident as I just got the scared out of me. Yeah. So those moments are when you just rely on your training. Yeah. And what happens when we get scared or nervous like that is uh, we tend to talk too fast. Mm. And I work with people, I say, you know, confident people are comfortable with silence. Mm. So you still take some pauses so that people can really hear. Like the first segment I did, I said, yeah, what makes a good pitch or story? Oh, it's clear, concise, and compelling. And then I was watching the tape back like an athlete does with my media coach. And he goes, you know, you said that a little fast. I know you're afraid of dead air time, but it's too fast for people to process. Mm -hmm. So the secret is say the word to yourself quite silently 
and then you'll have just the right amount of silence. So it's a good pitch is clear, clear, concise, concise, and compelling. So now it sounds like, hey, John, what makes a good pitch? Oh, a good pitch is clear, concise, and compelling. That little bit of silence between those three words lets it land in the audience, the viewer's head. Mm-hmm. And so that's a tip for everyone on their confidence level is stay, stay centered. Don't talk faster, even though your heart's racing. Well, in that pause, whether it's done in storytelling or storytelling through music or movies or musicals, it's always that like, <gasps> it's the anticipation of like, well, what's going to happen next? It's that pregnant pause, if you will, yes, right? That's, exactly. uh, that's when it's used and done well. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's like everyone's hanging in the balance of what's going to happen next. So I love mm-hmm. that. Really, really good tips. Um, now, again, switching gears more to your TEDx talk, like I mentioned in the, the intro, mm-hmm. the title's called Be the Lifeguard of Your Own Life. But yes. for anyone who hasn't yet seen it, what does that mean? Well, I am a former lifeguard many years ago. And one of the lessons I learned when I was in that situation was, you know, I had to save a little girl who was drowning. I jumped in. She was underwater two seconds too long and she was panicking. So I knew I couldn't just throw her or something. And I jumped in and I had to save her. And that lesson I learned of not panicking and staying calm served me well my whole career. And I think in a hurricane, a lot of people think, well, I'm not going to evacuate. So worst case scenario, I'll climb on my roof and some helicopter will come save me. And unfortunately in our life and in our career, that's not always the case. So I said, you know, we need to be our own lifeguard of our own life, as opposed to thinking, well, somebody else will fix this for me. Mm-hmm. And so it's all about embracing disruption, getting out of our comfort zone and learning how to stay calm when we, our instinct might be to panic. Mm. Hell yeah, that's, that's amazing. Cause I, I feel like so much of what I again talk about on my show, having worked with men so much, mm. um, not even just men, let's just say masculinity. You know, a lot of times that masculinity is, uh, you know, it's attractive when it's solid, when it's, uh, when it's very clear and focused uh, and kind of immovable. You know, my, my coach, I was on the phone yesterday when my coaching call with her and she's like, you know, you got to be in your masculine mm-hmm. and let that feminine be that hurricane, that storm, you know, right. and just like a palm tree, you know, you're still grounded, but you'll have to move with it, but you're not breaking, right? You're not in resistance to that storm. And I feel like a big part of what you're talking about is, you know, essentially not panicking. It's just being clear about still just having that great balance between your masculine and feminine energies. But it, it does also make me think of the, the question I was going to ask you, which was like, in what, you know, <laughs> I'd love to hear maybe a story that you had where you, you know, something didn't go according to plan. Right. And you could have easily lost your shit, could have panicked, but you right. recovered beautifully. Well, back in 2008, I had a career, as you mentioned, at Condé Nast, and then that was when the mortgage crisis hit. Mm. And the um, luxury market crashed because nobody was um, spending ads or money on luxury goods. And I got that call saying, um, we're going to have to lay you off. We're laying everybody off outside of New York and 30% of the New York staff. And it felt like a kick to the gut. I mean, I knew it might happen, but you always think, well, something... I gotta let me go. I've been, you know, and they and they go, we need you out by the end of the day. And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> wow. uh, okay. And I didn't take that personally. And but then I went right to, well, don't you want a status report hmm. of um, where these ads should be running and what page and what issue? Well, that'd be great. But everyone else is so angry they're storming out. 
But that's where my lifeguard training kicked in. And I thought, I'm not going to do that to these people. I've watched them get married, have kids for 15 years. And um, little did I know that that one decision to not panic and get mad and take it personally and storm out would affect me two years later um, when they reached out to me to come back and take my old job back. And ironically, I ended up winning salesperson of the year mm -hmm. against 400 other salespeople from around the world for 23 other different brands. Cool. And I thought, huh, I'm the same person whether I'm getting laid off or winning this award. So that really set me on my own personal path of helping as many people as possible get off that self-esteem roller coaster mm -hmm. where we're only feeling good if our numbers are up and things are going great. And we're winning awards. We feel bad about ourselves if our numbers are down or we're being laid off and we let our identity get sucked up into what's happening to us instead of transcending it. And uh, I have found that when I can help people realize that who we are is bigger than any one thing or any one job or any one sale, that it really frees everybody to um, not live a life full of fear. Hmm. Yeah, amen to that. I, Maybe you answered it, but I was going to ask you a little bit more about the the self esteem roller coaster, you know, sure. and how and how you can help or suggest people getting off. <laughs> well, first of all, it's just it's just an awareness that you're on it. Otherwise, you're just constantly reacting. I mean, in high end retail stores at Christmas time, where they do the big chunk of their sales for the whole year, they will give reports to the person saying, you know. This time last December 11th at, from 11 a.m. to noon, you sold X amount of jewelry and you haven't done that this year. So that, that can be an hourly roller coaster if you let it. Totally. Um, and I think part of it is just reminding yourself that just because something doesn't work out doesn't mean I'm a failure. Mm -hmm. Just because somebody rejects me or my product doesn't mean I have to reject myself. And when we have that awareness, that's what really helps us get off this self-esteem roller coaster, that our identity stays the same. And also we let go of this need to be perfect all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think so many guys in particular struggle with this one. I think women do as well, but you know, I think back on my dad, we we're on family vacations and we'd be get, get lost. And this is before GPS. And I'm like, well, let's just stop and ask for directions. No, I couldn't understand it. I had no ego about that at all as a kid, but it was like, mm, I'll figure it out. I'm like, oh. Um, and so I think sometimes we've, I think the secret to this self-esteem roller coaster is, and you're doing this so well with your men's group, is, is don't go it alone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think when we reach out to other people and go, hey, I'm struggling with this, and I don't feel so great about myself at the moment, you know, somebody goes like, oh, I, let me remind you of the truth of who you are, even if you've forgotten it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. temporarily. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and what I, what I, what I've heard you say dotted throughout the the whole conversation already so much is, uh, and what I've noticed on your website too, kind of, especially in in the section where you're talking about your course, your your better selling through storytelling course. Mm -hmm. You know, you have module one, you get this. Module two, you get this. Module three, you get this. And there's a lot of uh, practical strategies and tools for helping you sell. But then there's also a lot of psychology kind of like personal development self-improvement yes. right and it seems like you've done a fair amount i don't know a ton of your right what, yes. what have you okay. done and how has that helped you as well to oh well <laughs> i'm an avid reader yeah. and you know some of my favorite books like the four agreements yes love it 
Um, and one of them is don't take things personally. And I thought to myself, huh, what if this would apply to selling? And so I was looking for books that created a combination of self-help, metaphysical concepts, whatever you want, not being attached to the outcome. What if that would apply to selling? Don't take, so this concept of not taking anything personally, but specifically rejection as part of sales gave me a whole lot of content for the book and the course, which is we never reject ourselves. Just because we get a no doesn't mean, oh, suddenly I'm a bad person or a bad salesperson, or maybe my product isn't worth anything. Just because just because they said no, it's not a fit. No now doesn't mean no forever. Correct. There's a lot of ways I've incorporated. Um, and the big one for me, Johnny, was patience. I'm not typically a very patient person. I want things to happen faster than they normally do. And if they're delayed at all, then I really flip out. So this concept of self-development, of accepting what is, meditating, not being so attached to when and if something even happens. Mm. I used to live so much of my life, especially in college. Uh, well, as soon as this happens, then I'll be happy. Yeah, right. You know, this job, this this car, this relationship, whatever it is. And I realized it's you never really get there. You're just constantly, you're never in the moment. Yeah. So um, I just read a great book called uh, 10% Happier. Mm. by Dan Harris, the journalist, and, you know, they're ch- constantly chasing the next high of another war yeah. thing. And so all, it's a, an issue that all of us, I think, are on our own journeys of <laughs> accepting what is and letting go of um, not feeling good enough. Yeah. Um, and when that is something that you're working on on the core level, then you're not giving your power away to somebody who does or doesn't buy from you. Right. Uh, and I feel like that resonates so much because for me, at least, um, that attachment to an outcome, it, it starts to be, you know, and I, I'm sure I've been in those situations where then you begin like, no, I'm not leaving without, I'm not taking no for an answer, right? I'm not leaving here without the sale. Yeah. Then it starts coming across as like, you're, you're not actually connected to the person, you know, that you're having this conversation with, or it comes off as desperate, right. whether we're talking sales, business sales, or dating, intimacy yeah. like sometimes you can get yourself into serious shit oh, yeah. when you're not totally connected right i have a whole thing about going from invisible to irresistible in both dating and in your career mm. and you know you're a handsome guy you've never felt invisible in your life i'm sure when you're dating but a lot of people you know like oh they don't even know i'm in the room and the same thing mm-hmm. is true for our business they never heard of us mm-hmm. right? um and then we and the, the middle rung of this ladder is interesting Maybe you say something funny or witty and they go, oh, I may, may roll you off too fast, but I'm not going out with you yet. And the problem in business is we get someone to say, oh, I'm interested, Johnny, send me some information. And then it's right. crickets. And I say, that's like being stuck at the friend zone at work. <laughs> right. And I think we've all been in the friend zone of dating at one point or another, maybe not you, but many of us mortals have. And so uh, almost everybody has said, oh, I know what that feels like. The, you know, they said they were interested and they don't hear anything. So that's where storytelling kicks in. Mm. It gets us up to the next rung, which is intriguing. They want to see themselves of what would that look like? And then up to irresistible. And of course, in dating, that looks like you can't stop thinking of the person. You're texting him all the time. But there's clients that think we're irresistible. Right. You know, they, uh, they give us referrals. They are say, sing our praises. And here's the similarities. Like any good relationship, we can't take them for granted, whether it's a friendship, a romantic relationship, a business relationship. So we need to constantly be nurturing them, 
going above and beyond the minimum, remembering people's birthdays, mm-hmm. reaching out to them when you're not trying to sell them something, mm-hmm. congratulating them on something. Mm-hmm. That's really where I love working with people at that. How do you get from an interesting friend zone level to in- intriguing to irresistible? 100%. Like you said, it's nurturing. It's, it's uh, doing the things that they're not expecting. It's staying relevant, right? Uh, top of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and not always having a hidden agenda, even if you feel like, yeah, I'd love to have this person as a, as a client someday, as a customer, but still really coming from a place of like genuinely loving people, you know, and knowing that they yeah. deserve uh, right. to be supported or propped up. Um, well, that's why I think you and Lewis Howes are friends mm-hmm. because you both have that in common. You're mm-hmm. both very authentic and genuine and it comes across in both of your shows. Mm-hmm. And that of course, not only attracts listeners, but it attracts guests who want to be on that because it's like, oh, this is a safe place to land. The person's going to do their homework and all of that gets, that's what makes success in general. Mm-hmm. Oh, I appreciate that. That's very sweet. I, it, it makes me think though, I do like likening a lot of things to relationships and that like the real, I mean, relationship of talking to someone new Mm-hmm. Um, online or in person is very similar to a, a sales. <laughs> I mean, it kind of sounds funny when you think about it that way, but you're looking to, to close, which might be just getting a number or yep. it again, right? But you're in, kind of in creating the intrigue and building the, the attraction and the, the desire to want to go back and forth. And you can't just show up and, you know, be creepy, right? No. So a lot of that way of being, I feel like does translate whether you're talking, you know, relationships or sales business sales right mm-hmm. how do you make sure that someone how do you make sure that or not make sure how do you support and coach someone into like finding that way of beings as we're talking about more psychology you know yeah. that's a big part of it it's just like people right. could feel your energy and whether or not oh. you hit an agenda yeah right? so big time. well two things uh, sometimes i've been hired to help people entrepreneurs with their pitch to get their startup funded and I tell them, literally, the goal of the pitch is to get the second date. No one's mm-hmm. going to write you a big check after mm-hmm. one pitch. And they're like, oh, so that's totally, it literally uses the word second date. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how you show up, your energy. I remember I was being interviewed, um, but it was between me and another speaker for a big speaking gig at their annual sales meeting. And, you know, we had a discovery call and I talked to them and they asked me questions. I asked them questions. I came up with some ideas. And what I do, so I was, this one was um, Anthem Insurance. And one of the questions I asked was, well, what else is going to happen if I'm selected as your speaker for the rest of the two days? I said, oh, at the end of the first day, we're going to have an improv session and have people throw out objections from the audience and role play answering them. And I said, oh, well, what if I stayed after my talk for that improv session and would be on stage whispering in people's ears if they got stuck? <laughs> improv is all about yes and and not mm-hmm. stopping. They go, Wow. We never even thought to ask a speaker to do that. And the fact that you've offered, they were intrigued. And that's what made me irresistible to get the job. Hmm. And when I heard back from the agent that they picked me, they said they liked your energy. And I think that's so valuable for everyone to remember. Yeah, It's not they like the fact that you have a book or that you have this content or you have blah, blah experience. It's like they liked your energy. They literally said, we just felt better and inspired and uplifted after talking to you on a Zoom call. We figured you'd make all of everybody else feel the same way. So cool. we're really selling energy. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, I love that. Cause I think so much of what we initially think is like, Oh, 
I'm not good enough. That's our, you know, underlying belief, right? I'm the not default good enough, setting, yes. Right, <laughs> default setting. So then I have to get these letters behind my name. I have to get all, and then I will be ready, just like you were saying earlier. And that comes with sometimes youth, like, but then once I have that done, then I'll be ready and confident. Man, the, the way of being, it doesn't matter whether you're 50 or you're 25, right? It's, it's just that sense of confidence of finding yourself. And I feel like that is why it's so important and why I love seeing in your course, there's, there's still so much of personal development infused within yeah. because that's, it's not just, you can't just show up and push buttons to get a result, right? No. It's that, that dance uh, of science and art, right? Uh, yeah. Because otherwise we'll just have artificial intelligence sell everything. Yeah. yeah. That's not the world I want to live in. And yeah. I, I think when people realize that um, the ability to connect with people emotionally makes you feel better and it certainly makes them feel better. And, once people learn how to tell better stories, it affects not just their career, but their personal life. So these days of us being so siloed, I'm one person at work, and then I'm another person with my friends at night and weekends, yeah. that goes away. And especially now that we're all working from, everything is, we're seeing people's homes. It's, we go like, here's who I am all the time. And I'm mm -hmm. not, and that consistency is what allows you to, I think, accept yourself and not compare yourself to other people. Yeah. You know, we're like that, short of not feeling good enough, man, if you want to trigger that button, just start <laughs> comparing yourself to where you went to school and how many books you sold versus somebody else and how many yeah. blah, 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 blah. You know, like, that's, and it's never enough, by the way. Your ego is never satisfied. Hmm. So there's always somebody richer, younger, thinner, whatever. 100%. Um, so I think letting go of all that comparison um, and that the right people will hear what you have to say and trust the process a little bit as <laughs> you show up, as you said, energetically from a place of already being whole and complete, as opposed to, I need this sale to feel good about myself or pay my bills, or I need this date to feel good about myself. Um, and, and it's a complete, it's either one pushes them away and, and repels them actually. And the other makes you magnetic. It's mm. you know that joke about, Oh, you get dates when you're not looking. I never really understood that when I was in my teenage years. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Now, older, of course, I get it. It's an energetic thing. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, it's the surrendering. It's the patience of like, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll come to me versus me having to feel like I have to go out and get it, you know, but that's us wanting to have control and, and that sort of thing. Um, sure. I was, yeah. And I was talking to a, you know, a, a guy through email who's in one of my challenges and he was just, you know, we're talking about, oh, I'm distracted by this and online. And, and he's like, I'm just not attracting. Well, no, he's like, I getting dates is not difficult. You know, that's really not difficult. What I'm really looking for is attracting a guy that, you know, that kind of comes into my life with, with ease and we just harmonize, you know? Um, but I do feel like a lot of that for me, whether we're talking about podcasting, uh, public speaking, date nights, so much of that is based off of my state that I go into, my emotional state. And I know that there's nights that I've gone out feeling defeated from the day or exhausted and I shrink, I just minimize, I have no self-confidence, right? Versus the other day where I might be like, I close a big sale, right? And there's a lot of that is, is of state, yeah. right? So how, do you have any tips or do you, have you ever done that where before oh. you go into a big meeting talk, all that you get into state, you get your body, yes. mind, like what, what do you say? Uh, my process is what I call the stacking your moments of certainty, mm. like an air traffic controller, you know, they stack yeah. planes on different yeah. altitudes. Yeah. 
we have the ability, instead of letting the negative self-talk come into our head before a big pitch or a meeting or even a party an, um, or a networking event, um, we go, oh, this will never work. Uh, I'm, I don't feel like being here. I want to get out of here. You, you can't just tell yourself, don't think that. It's like, don't think of a pink elephant, right? You have to replace it with something. So I have people write down two or three times when they knew they nailed something. Mm-hmm. They got the date, they got the sale, they hit their goal, whatever it was and how they felt with it, not just the fact of what they did. I felt proud, I felt accomplished, I felt like I was an integrity of my word with myself. And when you stack those moments of certainty up in your head and the feelings that are associated with it, that's my secret tool for hitting the reset button when you aren't feeling at your best. Just go back to, well, let me remember a time when I did. And it's amazing when we start remembering that and and, and put the feeling in our body again, like, oh, yeah, I, because now I'm in, focusing on this yeah. as opposed to what happened five minutes or five days ago. Oh, I love that. That's brilliant. Um, yeah, love, love, love that. Thank you so much. I was uh, just wanting to ask you, of all the social medias or your website, what's, if someone was intrigued to get in touch with you, want to continue their yeah. journey, what's the best way for them to be in touch? And well, I have a more? gift for everybody. It's a, uh, my top storytelling tips. All they have to do is text the word pitch Yes. P-I-T-C-H to 66866. And I'll send you my top storytelling tips. If you can't remember my name, johnlivesay.com or my book, Better Selling Through Storytelling. Maybe you'll remember the Pitch Whisperer. Mm. And you can Google that and my content shows up. And if anybody wants to have a chat on how I could possibly help them or bring me in to speak at a sales team on storytelling, I'm open to that. I love that. So guys, listen, if you're, if you're, if you're up for this, do it right now. Stop the, stop this podcast in a moment, you know, switch over to your text messages, text six, six, eight, six, six. Is that right? Right. And, and say pitch with and a P yes. with a P P's <laughs> and Paul. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, not bitch. Yeah. Exactly. That'll get, that'll get you a different list. A whole nother <laughs> show. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh, that's awesome. Well, John, thank you so much. Um, and I really, really, just applaud you for what you're doing. It's exciting. It's just, it makes something that could be so scary uh, for a lot of people. And like you said, uh, that whole idea of rejection uh, kind of flip it on its head to where it's enjoyable and it seems easy. It's, that's not very challenging to tell a story. Cause I think we can all mm-hmm. do that as we're all, you know, going through this life, this human life, but uh, any last remaining closing thoughts that you'd like someone to, to walk away with? One of my favorite quotes is from the famous tennis pro, Arthur Ashe. The key to success is confidence and the key to confidence is preparation. Mm. So the more prepared you are, the more confident you are, the more successful you are, whether you're an athlete or a salesperson or an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Preparation, not only, you know, (laughs) with what you're bringing to the table, but also with your way of being and your psychology, right? Yeah. Well, thank you so much. You blessed my listeners. I really appreciate your time and uh, excited to continue the conversation. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Johnny. Thanks everyone. And enjoy this one. If you have any thoughts or feedback, feel free to hit me up as usual on social media or Johnny at johnnyking.com. Until we listen and meet again, we'll talk to you soon. Have a great day. And I want to thank you so much for listening to the Johnny King show. And hey, if you got something positive from this episode, please subscribe to the show, share it on your favorite social platform, and then tag me in it so I can say hi. It would also mean the world to me if you wrote a review of the show on Apple Podcasts because I read every single one. Do you feel like there's something I could be doing better? Awesome. 
I totally thrive on constructive feedback and it's always welcome. So if you've got questions or concerns, you can always reach me via email at podcast at johnnyking.com. And then please follow me on Instagram at johnnyking, facebook.com backslash johnnykingmenscoach on my YouTube channel and LinkedIn. Thanks again for joining me. I've been Johnny King. You've been amazing. And we'll catch up with you next time. Take care.